one dominating team, two mid-season exits, and three rookie drivers. This week, I'm covering all the main talking points from the F1 season so far. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and today we're going to be doing a bit of a mid-season review. So my mid-season review is coming to you guys in two parts. This week, I'm just going to have a chat about some of the biggest talking points that have come out of the F1 season so far. And then next week, I'm going to have a look at the teammate head-to-heads and how the teams are doing themselves. We have hit summer break. We're just over halfway into the season and we've had a couple of things going on. The story that has covered this entire season is Red Bull's domination. 2022 was a phenomenal season for Red Bull Racing when the new regulations came into play. They had just hit the ground running. They had really managed to nail down what they needed from the aerodynamics to make sure that they had the most competitive car on the grid. And 2023 has proven to be no different. If anything, they are just extending that advantage. 2022, we saw them have a bit more of a battle with Ferrari, but 2023... Red Bull are in a league of their own. There's just not a foot really going wrong with Red Bull weekend to weekend. Pit stops have been clean as per usual with Red Bull. Their strategy has been absolutely perfect. Max Verstappen is having such a strong season. He is in the form of his life right now, completely at one with the car. He can throw it into corners the way he wants it to. He knows how it's going to behave. He is extracting the absolute maximum out of that package. They are what F1 is right now. Their domination is what Formula One is because they've just run away with it. The regulations have been nailed by them and they are just building on that performance week on week on week. There is absolutely no way that Mercedes or any other team is going to be able to make up that points deficit with Red Bull and the Constructors' Championship right now. Mathematically, we are just waiting for that to happen because no one else has taken the Constructors' title home this year. The same goes with the Drivers' Championship on Max's side of the garage. We are just waiting for the inevitability of Max winning his third championship at this point. Pure and utter dominance for them. And even though we see teams trying to chase and catch up with them, it's just not happening. Every time that Red Bull bolts an upgrade to their car, it just gets quicker. So for me, I think that's one of the biggest talking points just in terms of defining this F1 season. We are just in a period of Red Bull complete and utter domination right now. I don't know how long it's going to last for. Red Bull probably don't know either, but they are going to be working hard to make sure they keep on to their domination for as long as they physically can. And the other teams right now, they're just playing catch up. There are two really big talking points for me, though, that I think are bigger than what Red Bull are doing right now. And the first one of those is Aston Martin's comeback. And the second one of those is McLaren. So I'm going to start with Aston Martin. I wouldn't even call it a comeback because we've never seen Aston Martin or that Silverstone team really compete so far up on the grid. Not as consistently as they have been this season, at least. They just had a phenomenal start to the season. It was an absolute dream for a team like Aston Martin, who were really struggling over the last couple of years, to have skyrocketed right to the front of the grid. Dream come true for so many people on that team. 
Now, they did show a lot of promise during preseason testing. The times that were coming out of Aston Martin were really, really good, really competitive. But I just refused to believe that anything was actually happening there. I didn't think it was going to actually materialise to anything when we hit the track in Bahrain for the race weekend and then as the season progressed. But Christian Horner was one of the guys that turned around and said, I've had really good numbers coming out of Aston Martin, actually. But I still didn't believe him. I never know a team principal of how much of what they're saying is true and how much they just want to stir the pot. But he was completely right with the numbers that he was hearing or at least the feel that he was getting from those numbers because Aston Martin had a storming start to the season. Okay, yeah, fair enough. They weren't competing with Red Bull, but like I said, Red Bull in a league of their own right now. But Alonso was on a run of back-to-back podiums with Aston Martin at the beginning of the season. I was just in shock to see how much they had developed that car over winter. And I think it's a real testimony to all of the efforts that everyone at Aston Martin has put in, as well as the investment that Lawrence Stroll has put into that team to make it competitive. Aston Martin were riding on an absolute high at the start of the season. It was going so, so well for them. Second in the constructors, they were beating who their engine supplier was in Mercedes, had leapfrogged the likes of McLaren, Alpine, Ferrari. I don't think they could have imagined a better start to the season. And I think it was just the story that was on so many people's lips at the start of this season. So many people talking about it, so many news articles. I feel like I have heard more about Fernando Alonso this season than I have in the past couple of years collectively because so many people have wanted to interview him and talk to him and ask him about how he had felt about his move to Aston Martin and the way that they've progressed and how it feels to be in a car that is so competitive, because it's been a while since Fernando Alonso has sat in a competitive car. And to be in his 40s and in a competitive car, still driving so well, getting on the podiums and probably reigniting that dream of winning another world championship. I don't think it ever went away, but to be in a car where you believe it could happen now must have been an incredible feeling. That being said, apparently good things will eventually come to an end because the form of Aston Martin has petered away as we got closer to summer break. Aston Martin and Mike Crack have come out and said that yes, their upgrade direction was the wrong one to take and that is why they think they've slowed down so much. It was quite a steep decline from Aston Martin and it's not like they went right to the back of the grid when they bolted on these upgrades, but they were not competing for podiums anymore. The quality form had dropped away a little bit and I think you could see it frustrating the drivers and the rest of the team because it was that question of where the heck did all of our performance go that we had at the start of the season? This shouldn't be a struggle anymore. They'd hit so many different types of circuits at the start of the season that they kind of knew their package should be working. That car should be working on most of the circuits. But that upgrade direction was clearly the wrong way to go. And they are working at rectifying that. So whilst it is concerning, I do think that if they can get themselves back on track, they are going to be fighting for podiums again this season. I don't have a doubt about it. The performance of the car is definitely there, but right now it's just being hidden by whatever type of upgrades they've managed to bring onto that car. That just isn't working right now. It must be frustrating for Fernando Alonso as well. I mean, he wasn't on a podium towards the start of the season. I can't remember which race it was, but what I do remember is afterwards him turning to the media and just saying, look, 
this is going to be the last time I'm not on a podium this season. He had a lot of faith in the team. I still think he has that faith in the team, but it's just not worked out that way right now. Aston are going to be working incredibly hard, though, to reverse whatever damage has been done and get back to fighting towards the front. I do wonder, though, whether cost cap will be an issue with this because they've obviously spent money on a set of upgrades that aren't working for them and they're probably going to now have to work on another set of upgrades that will hopefully work for them that's going to cost more money and it does kind of pull them back in their development race right now. And I think that can be a little bit concerning considering that everyone is in this development race. You've got teams towards the front, Red Bull, McLaren, Mercedes, Ferrari, pushing ahead, trying to get a tenth here and a tenth there, and Aston taking that step back. It might just make them struggle a little bit more to catch up. It might just take them a little bit longer, but they're going to be losing ground that they're not going to be too happy with. That decline in performance has meant that Mercedes have leapfrogged them to take second in the Constructors' Championship and in the Drivers' Championship. Lewis Hamilton is only one point away from Fernando Alonso to get P3. So I'm sure Aston and Alonso are going to be hoping for a very quick turnaround in their fortunes. But whilst Aston Martin fell back of the pack slightly, it seemed like they just swapped places with McLaren. Their start of the season was awful, for lack of a better word. It was not great. The cars were just awful for the drivers. You could tell that they weren't happy with the pace. It wasn't giving them what they wanted. They just looked to be struggling at the start of the season. And then bam, Lando Norris had a new set of upgrades bolted on. What McLaren said was their big upgrade package, the one that they'd been hyping up and we had been told from the media to wait for. And it was like a brand new car. It was crazy how much they progressed through the field with those new upgrades. And then the minute they stuck them onto Oscar Piastri's car a race later, he was flying away as well. And I think in some respects, what makes this a slightly more interesting story than Aston Martin is because Aston Martin had made this leap during winter break. And that's when you would expect to see some movement on the grid and for people to gain a lot of lap time, right? It's between car to car. McLaren had done this bang in the middle of the season. And that's the sort of jump that you don't expect to see in the middle of the season. Lando Norris has had a back-to-back podium now. Oscar Piastri took P2 in the Belgian sprint race. And McLaren are now in P5 in the Constructors, moving ahead of Alpine. So those upgrades have really, really worked well for them. And look, yeah, the last race was not a good race for them. When we actually got to the Grand Prix at Spa on the Sunday, it was a bit more of a struggle. But it wasn't completely awful and I think there's a lot of promise in that package for them. Lando and Oscar seem to be really happy with the car, they seem at ease with it, they're not fighting to control the car constantly, the team seem really really motivated. I think they're happy in the direction that the car is going right now, they're going to investigate what happened at Spa so they can figure it out to make sure they're not getting a repeat of that. But on a whole, yeah, McLaren have had an absolutely amazing mid-season comeback I personally wasn't expecting to see. We're going to move a little bit away from the teams now and talk about some people. One of the stories going into the season was the return of Nico Hülkenberg. Hülkenberg returned after three years away from F1 or active F1 duties. 
He was a reserve driver over those three years. He was a reserve driver for Aston Martin, had been in the car a couple of times, but he wasn't a full-time driver in Formula One. Haas ended up signing him to take over the second seat from Mick Schumacher at the end of the 2021 season. And I was just very curious to see how he was going to fare. And he just slotted back into the grid with absolutely no problem. It didn't really feel like he'd ever left the grid when he got into the car. He's just been performing to a really good standard and extracting the most out of the Haas that he can. And the team seem really, really happy with him. They seem really chuffed with the progress he's making, the feedback he's giving, the performances that he's putting in. His qualifying form in particular, I think, has been the standout that everyone has been talking about. He's getting into Q3s with the Haas. The one lap pace he's able to extract from the car is absolutely incredible. I think what's letting Hulkenberg down right now isn't anything to do with him, but the race car itself when it gets to race day. And that's letting both of the drivers down right now. I would absolutely love to see what Nico Hulkenberg could achieve if the race pace on the Haas was better. Because quite obviously, yeah, his quality pace is insane. But I just want to see if that Haas was a little bit more competitive on a Sunday. Could he consistently get into the points? That's what I want to know. But I don't think there's any denying this has been an amazing comeback for Nico Hülkenberg. Like I said, doesn't feel like he ever left F1 with the way he's been performing. Great asset to Haas. I know they're very happy with him and they're looking to continue their partnership with him. So I don't think we'll be saying goodbye to him anytime soon. We also had three rookies joining us on the F1 grid for this season. So let's have a chat about how their seasons have gone so far. Oscar Piastri joined the McLaren team after a fair bit of drama last year. I think that's the easiest way to put it. There was a lot of drama that went on with Oscar Piastri and his contract with Alpine and with McLaren. And I think it was very easy for people to say at the start of the year, he really made the wrong choice going to McLaren because they just looked like they were going to end up being a back market team. They were struggling to get into the points. But he has been a standout performer in this year's rookie class since those upgrades have come into play. And I've got to be honest, I just think that old McLaren before the upgrades just didn't give him a chance to shine. It really hid some of the performances that he probably had in him. But he seems so at ease with this car. And I think it's hard for a rookie, one, to get into a very powerful, quick car like the McLaren is now, and two, to have that change in the middle of the season you've gone from probably fighting that car a little bit more, having to work it a little bit harder, to then having to be a little bit more gentle with the car, not overworking it, understanding and trusting that car suddenly. And he has adapted to that so, so well, as evidenced by that P2 in the sprint race at Spa. McLaren are really, really happy with his performance. I'm sure Oscar is as well. And the amazing thing, I think, with Oscar Piastri is that this is how he's performing now. And he is still learning and he said himself he still wants to learn more and he's still getting to grips with things. So I think there's so much more to come from Oscar Piastri and I can't wait to see what happens in the future with him. Second rookie, we have Logan Sargent in the Williams. He's been having a bit more of a harder time with it than what Oscar has. The Williams is a better car than it's been in a little while, let's be honest. They've had a good bout of upgrades come in that have really helped the car as well. But it is definitely nowhere near the pace that the McLaren is right now. That being said, though, I don't think Logan is having an absolutely awful season. 
I think at the start of the season, he was pushing the car a little bit too much when he was in quality. And James Fowler said that's something that they were working on, I think, as well, especially on certain tracks. But I think it's something that he is picking up on and learning and he's not pushing it too much. I think with Logan, things are just taking a little bit longer to click compared to them clicking with Oscar. And that's not a problem because I still think he's doing fairly well on track and he's learning. And that's what your rookie year is all about. He is learning. You're seeing the performances improve slowly race by race. William seemed really happy with everything that he's doing right now. And they're saying he's doing everything that they've asked of him. So I think that's the main thing when your team is happy and you're reaching those targets. There's not much to complain about. Currently, he's got no points on the board. But I don't think that's going to be the tail of the season for him. I think by the end of the season, we're going to see a handful of points from him on the board. He's getting closer. It is getting there. And it's almost quite nice to see these two rookie drivers. You've got Oscar, who I think has a lot of natural ability. And that was very evident throughout his junior career as well. Getting to grips with things very, very quickly in a very good competitive car right now. Then on the other side, we see Logan, who is slowly learning and taking those steps. So it's nice to be able to see his progression race after race slowly getting there. Even with no points on the board, I don't think Williams are letting him go next year. I think James Vowles wants to nurture young talent and will at least give Logan Sargent another year in the Williams car to see if he can prove himself and get a couple more points on the board and start competing with Alex Albon a little bit more. And then that leaves us with our last rookie, Nick DeVries. And what an absolute mess everything surrounding Nick DeVries has been this season. Unlike the other two rookies... For 2023, Nick DeVries will not be finishing his F1 season. He did 10 races and AlphaTauri and Red Bull Racing terminated his contract with the team. He had no points on the board at his time of leaving, a couple of DNFs, a lot of his finishes were right at the back of the grid. Yuki was outperforming him in quali and the race fairly consistently. And Red Bull Racing were just not happy with the little progress he was making. Now, apparently they'd also compared what he was able to do on the sim with Yuki and Daniel. And from what reports were saying, he just wasn't able to match up with what Yuki and Daniel were putting on the board when they were in the sim. I think at the crux of it, he was not performing the way AlphaTauri or Red Bull wanted him to and what they were hoping for him to. He's 28 years old, has a world championship in FE has a lot of credentials behind him and I think Red Bull and AlphaTauri wanted him to be able to compete pretty much straight away and it's not always that easy to transfer from series to series when you've been driving different types of cars it does take a little bit more time if all motorsport series were created the same there would be no point in having a different series for different types of cars and whilst Formula E and F1 are single-seater racing cars, there's still a lot of difference in the way those cars feel, how they're powered, their braking points, their handling, and it wasn't coming together as quickly for Nick DeVries as what people would have hoped. So he was dropped. Do I think had he stayed around, it would have gotten better for him? I don't quite know. I think there was so much media frenzy around him. And then as the season wasn't going the way everyone was hoping it would for him, there was even more media about that and grumblings of how unhappy Helmut Marko was about it. I don't know whether it just would have made it harder for him to focus and therefore impacted his performance anyway. It is a difficult one, obviously, and I hate seeing drivers leave the grid mid-season. 
But that decision was made, and we went from having three rookies on the grid down to two. Nick DeVries leaving, though, did pave the way for Daniel Ricciardo's comeback. Daniel Ricciardo was dropped by McLaren a year earlier than he was meant to at the end of the 2022 season, and that left him without a seat. He had been signed on as Red Bull's fourth driver, doing sim work for them, was ready to step in as a reserve driver, was also doing some PR work for them, as well as helping out with some of the testing and tyre testing that the Red Bull team were doing with the FIA. But after Nick DeVries got released from his contract, Red Bull's first choice was to ask Daniel Ricciardo to step into that AlphaTauri car. And quite obviously, he accepted. After taking a few months off of the grid, he was definitely ready to get back in the car and to compete again. He'd said he'd kind of realised he wasn't ready to give up on his F1 dream just yet. And so he was more than happy to step back into the paddock in the AlphaTauri. So, so far he's had two races with the team and they've not been an awful performance from him at all. His quality pace and then his race pace on his first weekend back were pretty good. Alphatari seemed really happy with his tyre management and how he progressed. Spa just before we broke up, I think, was a little bit of a difficult one for him. He was stuck in traffic for a lot of it. I know that's what a couple of drivers were struggling with that were towards the back of the field and that hampered his performance a little bit more. But it will be very interesting to see how the rest of the season goes for him, how he progresses and how that teammate head-to-head with Yuki Tsunoda goes as well. But Daniel seems super, super excited to be back in the paddock, which is no surprise. AlphaTauri are probably very happy to have his feedback on top of Yuki's about the car to be able to improve and hopefully get that car further up the field. And I think he's just brought a bit more life and personality to the paddock again. I know there are probably a lot of drivers that missed him. Max Verstappen, I think, definitely missed having him around, George Russell. So he is a massive personality to have in F1. I am absolutely sure F1 media and PR are so glad to have him back on the grid. Will he be back on the grid for 2024? We have no idea currently. And I think that is going to be very dependent on how the rest of this season goes. If it doesn't go well, I think we're going to end up seeing Liam Lawson sat next to Yuki Tsunoda in the AlphaTauri. If it goes well then yep, I think we're going to be seeing him back with the team in 2024. And if it goes extremely well and we find Checo Perez is struggling very, very badly in that Red Bull car, we could see him promoted to the main Red Bull team. And finally, in this mid-season news roundup, we had the biggest piece of news just before summer break started, and that was Otmar Zafnau leaving. Now, I spoke about this a lot in my last episode, but yes, Otmar has officially left Formula One for now, as far as we know. Alpine had given him the sack after 18 months in the job. And that's not just Otmar, there were a couple of other people leaving, Pat Fry, Alan Pemain, also leaving at the same time as him. So a massive reshuffle and restructure going on at Alpine as they try to salvage their season and just make sure they've got a good structure for the future. What do you even say with Alpine at this point, though? It's definitely been a very bumpy and hard road for the Enstone team. They obviously were not extremely happy with the direction that Otmar was trying to take Alpine in or the lack of progress he might have made over 18 months. I don't know. I think 18 months isn't a very long time to turn an F1 team around. 18 months in general, a year and a half, 
is quite long, but I think for an F1 team, it's difficult. Between car development, which sometimes starts a year in advance, to hiring people and some people's gardening leave last 12 months before they can even join the team in their new role, it's a difficult one. But I think there's probably stuff going on in the background that obviously we aren't privy to that Alpine just weren't happy with. And so, yeah, Otmar Zafnauer is currently without a job in F1 as far as we know. And I say that because... There are whispers that he might already have a job lined up in Formula One. How true that is, I don't quite know. I've heard whispers of him potentially joining the Audi team when it takes over from Alfa Romeo Sauber. I don't know if I see that happening. I don't know whether people are just floating random rumours and ideas onto the internet now. It was one of the slightly shocking exits for me because it happened mid-season and the fact that, yeah, they're not even letting him see the 2023 season out. But in general, I'm not surprised Otmar is going considering the direction that Alpine has been going in over the last couple of races. It's not been great for them. And I think those are some of the biggest pieces of news or the biggest talking points that have come out of the season so far. I don't think there's been a whole load of drama other than Nick DeVries and Otmar Zafnau leaving mid-season. I think those are probably the biggest dramatic pieces of news that we've had come out of Formula 1 this year so far. But everything else, I think, has been a little bit more tame, which is nice. But that is all I have for you guys today. Next week, I'll be doing a bit more of an in-depth look at each team's season and how it compares to this time last year, so whether the teams have improved stayed the same, gotten worse, and also looking at teammate head-to-heads, how are teammates faring against each other in terms of qualifying, race, driver standings. So I'll be having a bit of a chat about that as well. Thank you guys so much for listening and welcome Fair. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and TikTok at stewards underscore office where I post a load of Formula One content. And I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the steward's office.